imagine a world in which PTSD no longer robs from millions who suffer. You don't want to get help because you're embarrassed. You don't want to tell people the dark stuff that you've went through. That stigmatism of you can't talk to people it is so true. I just didn't feel like I wanted to open up to anybody or tell them what I was going through. Post-traumatic stress is not a disorder. It's an injury that can be healed quickly so that those who suffer get back to thriving in their families, communities, and mission. And I said, I yeah. don't wanna, I, I can't, I don't wanna live this trauma again. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. you don't have to. Yeah. And I said, yeah. what? The hospital I went to and the experts, they forgot to tell me I can heal. I didn't know that I can get rid of PTSD. Each week we tell a skeptical world what is possible with stories of those who have successfully cured their trauma. I wanted so desperately to be a good mother and get my life back, so I found Life After PTSD and I started driving and listen. I called my boyfriend and said, hello, I've got something you need to listen to. This is Life After PTSD. Well, I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Life After PTSD. My name is Jeff McLaughlin, hosting as always, and I'm super excited today to have a usual guest, but to have his better half um, here today, Alan Canerva, <laughs> Guelph, Ontario. How's it going, buddy? Really well, Jeff. Long time no talk to you. What's going on? Yeah, let's dispense with the pleasantries and just get right to it. Tara, you're the one we care about today. Welcome. <laughs> Great. Thank you. I'm so rude to him. He neglected me for two weeks while he's been training. So uh, you can take it. Uh, guys, it's it's good to talk to you. Um, you know, I say he neglected me. Of course, I think we did an episode during the week while while you guys were training there. But you guys are on the you know the tail. Well, you're done now with um, a, a long training up at your center up there in Guelph. And uh, just as a quick update, how'd that go? How'd you feel about it? It was brilliant. It went really, really well. Um, we had somebody from New Zealand attend the course. We had Eric from California. We had Carrie from Florida. And then we had uh, some people, some locals, uh, a couple of locals and a couple of people from sort of six hours away. I think it's our, our widest geographic grab yet. You were missing somebody Literally. special from Orlando, but I'm not going to say who that was. I'm just, uh, you know, <laughs> I hope you missed me. So anyway, you were well missed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great, guys. Let's talk about your practice. And um, you know, Alan, we've uh, obviously you've done almost the, the majority of the shows, and I mean, definitely the majority of shows with, with me. And um, you know, but you guys run Inspired Outcomes, uh, you know, up in in Ontario. Just tell us a little bit about that and what y'all do. You guys have been working together on traumas for years. So uh, just for the good of the audience. They know about you, Alan. Bring Tara into this conversation and let's talk about her role. It was actually Tara who had the idea to, to get in practice, to get into formal practice, to do what we do. And it was her drive and her impetus that got us started. And, uh, you know, we, we rented a small office and we were working as practitioners. Work, I was specializing in trauma. Tara was specializing in uh, helping women through the birth process. And that quickly just morphed. But our, our one office that we rented, we quickly outgrew it. We rented our own two office space with a little reception area. Um, halfway through the lease on that one, we outgrew it and we moved into the center we're in now. And, and as you know, um, we've been doing a lot of training um, in the trauma field, but we do a lot of NLP training. We do NLP practitioner courses, NLP master prac. We have our own proprietary protocol called PACE, Protocols for Achieving Coaching Excellence, which we teach. So, um, we teach probably 12 weeks of the year, and then we, then we coach and work with others. So, yeah, and it, and it was Tara's it was Tara's drive right at the beginning that got us all started. Tara, what was the um you know what lit the fire that got you wanting to start a, a clinic and do the work that you're doing now? <laughs> um, 
Well, I didn't, I guess, is the, the easiest answer. I didn't really mean to. I joke about how this is <laughs> <laughs> very very much an accident, a happy, beautiful, you know, important accident. But, Those are the best kind. Um, <laughs> yeah, it certainly wasn't my intention. I was a, a birth coach. I was actually working um, in the natural birthing field, and I was a doula, and I spent a lot of time with women um, <clears throat> just preparing them for the process of birth. And it was during that um, that experience that I started noticing women were dealing with so much anxiety, and the anxiety was specific around certain issues. So I had women who were previously medicated who wanted to come off of their medication, whether it be depression or anxiety or or whatever it was, um, while they were pregnant. And then, of course, as a result of that, they would have to deal with their their emotional state, um, and that was incredibly difficult for a lot of women often. And I was also dealing with women who would. Uh, who just you know generally had a lot of anxiety or relationship issues, or when their past comes um, comes up and really takes them by surprise. So frequently, something like uh, you know sexual trauma from the past or anything like that will surface in pregnancy because it's a pretty you know vulnerable time and there's been a, a bit of fear propagation around it in our culture and stuff. So um, what I noticed was that I didn't have the I didn't have the tools that I needed to be able to help these women at a level that I felt they needed to be helped at. So I was able to, you know, really work with them on the birthing coach aspect, but I felt I wasn't qualified to help with the degree of anxiety they had. So of course, when you're pregnant, you can't get on a waiting list, you know, for, to go see somebody and you don't have six months or a year to work through your stuff. And so it was Alan who suggested to me that I might want to go train in NLP and that would give me some skills that would allow me to deal with the urgency, right? The immediacy of what these women would need. And it would just give me a, a set of tools to be able to deal with their fear and with their apprehension and with their anxiety and you know anything else that may come up. So I got on a plane and flew to Nevada and I studied with Tad James and I really didn't know what I was in for. <laughs> I really, I really thought that I was going to get, you know, some cool tools that would help me deal with, you know, women who had, um, phobias of needles, you know, to help them be, be less stressed in the hospital and, you know, to be able to coach them a little better. But, um, what I discovered once I started doing my NLP training was just this other world that I didn't know existed. And so that to me was, was truly life-changing. I had the opportunity to work with my own issues, my own limitations and my own beliefs and all of the things that previously had kept me looking through a certain filter at life and, and everything changed. And so, it was when I got back from that and almost immediately started working with women who were dealing with issues that were not even birth issues. It just, you know, the way life happens, <laughs> these women that I worked with initially um, had actually much more uh, significant uh, things that I was dealing with um, right away, right out of the gate that I would have expected. And so very, very, very quickly, I ended up working with women who were stuck and dealing with things in all areas of life. And so uh, that's how it started. I, it kind of took me off guard how quickly I was able to get clients and how quickly I was referred to others. And, and pretty pretty soon, within three or four months of doing my first practitioner training, I had quite a um, a lot of clients. So, Tara, I, I, I wish know. I yeah. wish I could magically hit pause and then rewind and just go through piece by piece because there's like a million things and a million responses. <laughs> just hearing, you know, the, the most recent one you just said was just, you know, not thinking maybe I would get the amount of clients that I got and getting them right away. And I'm going, 
well, you know, I say this now and I can understand where you would have been there. I say this now, duh, like, you know, like women <laughs> everywhere are struggling this, but yeah, of course, you know, I think for many of us in this yeah. world, we have no clue, you know, until, yeah. uh, until we actually get our, ourselves, we jump in the, in the water and we see, um, the other thing too, is just, uh, uh, we've talked about this before Th- this subject, even for me as a guy is very close to my heart because, um, we have five kids and, and my wife has, um, you know, we've had a midwife, we've had a doula, we've gone through that process. And so it's kind of interesting to, to place you in those roles in, in the role of the doulas or the midwives that we had before. And, you know, to imagine that those people would then go on to say, we want to do more immediate work and more effective work, you know, using mm-hmm. as what I like to call those ninja skills. And that's effectively what you went to to Vegas, I think is to, you know, to go out in there yeah. and get some, you know, what we call the ninja skills. So super, super yeah. cool. You know how that works. Yeah. But I want to back up for a second here. I'm going to ask you just even on the birth uh, coaching side of things or the doula side of things, what got you into that in the first place? There's got to be a story there as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, my first son, our first son was born in Africa and, um, I was very, very nonchalant about getting pregnant and having my sister had had babies. It seemed, you know, easy enough. <laughs> yeah. Just what I people do, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's baby. happened a few times in the history of humanity. I've <laughs> yeah. heard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sort of work in, you know, probability. Most women do it. They survive. It seems like a, a pretty natural thing to do. So it didn't occur to me to uh, prepare for it. And so um, I was happily going about my life in, in Nairobi in Africa. And, and so it was Al. And um, when the time came to have the baby, I, I don't think that I had, I don't think I'd read anything. You know, I just. <laughs> we went was to prenatal class with our Kenyan friends. The ones here in America aren't very helpful. So I can't, I, I don't have, you know, high expectations for the ones in Kenya. No offense to Kenya, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, it was lovely. It was very kumbaya. The OBGYN had actually trained and taught at the University of Ottawa. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so the birth itself just took me completely off guard. So it was a tough birth. It was, you know, in now that I know a lot more about birth and, you know, what women have, have gone through, I realized it wasn't actually that, you know, that big of a deal what I was dealing with, but it took me so off guard. And um, I was so surprised at my lack of uh, knowledge and I didn't know the options that were available to me. So um, it was, you know, while it was a difficult birth, it, everything was fine. Everybody was healthy. I was healthy. Baby was healthy. Alan got, you know, appropriately abused during the process. Um, I'm sure he deserved it, but yeah. (laughs) He did. Um, And so it was on my second birth when I was pregnant with my next son, which happened very, very quickly after my boys were just 18 months apart. Um, It was on that birth that I thought, okay, this time we're doing things differently. This time I'm going to learn all there is to learn about it. And I just stumbled upon a midwife and I was out in BC um, we had decided to live in Tawasin at that point with, uh, with Al's kids from his previous marriage. And so we were out there and, uh, I just went sort of on a, on a real, um, mission to find out everything I could possibly know. And I was just, my mind was blown at all the possibilities of natural birthing and just of what was possible and the choices that women truly didn't know, you know, I talked to my friends and I started, you know, really talking to people and very often women don't know that they have a lot of choice when they go into the hospital. They just kind of are told what the procedure is going to be. And then they go through the procedure. And, um, when you look at the numbers, the stats, I mean, I'm sure in Canada, they're a little different than they are in the States, but I know that, uh, the C-section rates, for instance, are just 
you know, like it, it, it really is, um, it's difficult to accept the C-section rates as they are today, given what we know about birth. If you, if you had a naturally occurring birth, you're going to have about 3% that may require intervention at that level. Right. And when that's the case, then thank goodness. I mean, really, truly, thank goodness we have the, med- you know, the medical ability to do that and right. that we have the interventions we do. And that's fantastic. But it should be somewhere around 3%. Instead, there's a lot of hospitals you know, in Canada and definitely in the States where it's upwards of 30% of women who are having un- you know, what I would call unnecessary C-sections. And so scheduled, as I, scheduled uh, by the way. Scheduled. You know, yeah, they're scheduling yeah, these things exactly. well in advance. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah, having my crazy. C-section. I'm sorry, you're what? That's not synonymous <laughs> with birth. At least shouldn't yeah. be, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, they've got the name of the kid, the birth date all picked out, you know, yeah. a month ahead of time. You know, yeah. Eric's coming on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and really, when you understand the uh, the degree to which it can affect the health of the baby, I mean, it's just, I'm not going to get into all of that, but there's right. so much information about how much healthier we could be just as, as women and as a society and as families and everything else, if there was more choice. So, um that really, really drove me to um, to get involved at a pretty high level in natural. I mean, I say natural birthing, but just I don't know if there's a you know like a uh, an aware like a choice based birth. You yeah, know? Yeah, so whatever yeah. the choices are, just just to, I mean, if you want to go and have you know all sorts of whatever, however you want to do it, that's perfect. But know that it is your choice to do that instead of just kind of blindly assuming that you do what they tell you to do. So. Um, so it was that process. And when I had, uh, our second son, we were able to do that at home and it was in the water and I had, uh, used hypnobirthing and, uh, hypnosis leading up to it. And I had this, uh, sort of 45 minute birth <laughs> with almost no pain at home. And it was, uh, it was a really interesting birth because there was actually a little hang up. I had a shoulder dystocia. And it was dealt with so beautifully, so easily. And um, from that experience, what I recognized was not only could you have a really, really incredible birth, and most births go so norm- you know, normally, but even when there's a hang up, you can still do it in a way where it's calm and it's, uh, it's healthy and it's really, really a beautiful experience, both for, for mother and for, for the dad and for the baby. Our second was my fifth child. And I was in my 50s, my late 50s, and Tara said, oh, we're going to have a water birth at home. (laughs) (laughs) Really? It's it's pool day, Alan. It's pool day. Get your bathing suit on. (laughs) And we're going to do some hypno first. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, and now I'm such an advocate. When I talk to young men and, and, uh, you know, people are talking about having babies, I say, have you investigated natural birth and the options around that? You should really talk to to Tara because, you know, Mika was born, as she said, with his shoulder hung up. And and those midwives, uh, Tara was calm. The midwives were calm. The baby... He, he got un, unstuck and was skin to skin with his mom in 90 seconds. And, and in a hospital, that would have been a code blue. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is you didn't know what you didn't know. Then you, you found out that there was a reason to know something. You go look and you find some things out, changes everything with the second birth. Alan's like, you're crazy. 
because he's bought into the traditional medicine and then the rest is history. That's, I think that's what I'm hearing. If I had to summarize that in 15 seconds, yeah. you know, or less right there. And it's, and it's, and I'll tell you, it's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And I, I love that he's an advocate with, uh, with you now on this subject, yeah. you know, it just cracks it, me up and cause I'm in the same boat too. You know, I would have just said, yeah. I, I think we, we had a funny experience with our, um, in America, it's called Lamaze classes. I don't know what you call it there, birthday, oh, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yep. Same idea. And, yep. um, I, you know, I remember going to ours, we actually had to go to Lamaze classes four classes, like four hours each. Um, if we really? were going to deliver at this particular hospital or whatever. Now, I don't know how much they police that or whatever. In fact, I know they don't yeah. because we dropped out after, um, let's see, we went to the second session and about halfway through. I'm like, I'm done. We're out of here. And, uh, <laughs> and here's why it's because I figured out, I think I'm, this is a true story. I cannot make this up. First session was like a Thursday night or a Wednesday night or something. I had been working all day. Shannon had been working all day. And, uh, so we go to this class and after about an hour of watching like really, you know, dated <laughs> um, videos about whatever the subject of birthing, I'm, I'm half asleep already. It's time to quote unquote relax. So, right, so they get couples together, right? You get with your spouse and you go down and you're, you're on the floor and you've got these sort of mats. I mean, if you, if you remember like, you know, kindergarten, first grade where they still had nap time, <laughs> yep. that's what it felt like. I'm like, sweet, this is nap time. Well, trust me for two people that have been working all day long and especially one of us is pregnant. I'll just hint, hint, it wasn't me. You know, um, it's not hard for those people to take naps. Right. And so we're literally passed out. And the whole goal, it was not nap time. It was it was work on your breathing and help your help your partner mm -hmm. relax. So my job was to help her relax. Well, we're both out. Like literally, we're like out cold in probably two minutes or whatever. <laughs> like literally sleeping on the floor. And I have the the one of the nurses that's teaching this class comes over and is like poking me, like annoyingly poking me. And I, you know, I finally come to and I look up at her and she's like, "You're supposed to be relaxing right now." And I'm going, "Lady, <laughs> I don't look for that." I mean, I don't know, you know, in your world what this looks. like. So I finally figured out. I mean, I, I, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just the strategic thinker like this, but I finally figured out, okay, here's my job. My job in, in helping to Shannon, you know, for Shannon to have the, the natural most, um, uh, I, you know, I don't know if sacred's the word or whatever smooth birth yeah. that she could have. You know, my job is as her birthing partner is to knowing what I know about her, knowing how to relax her is to get her mind off of her pain and onto mm -hmm. the moment and to just exactly. lose sight of everything that's, you know, in the room. And we, by the way, teach this. We don't have the skills like you have, but we teach this just in a macro sense. Husbands, you know, new dads or whatever. Here's the deal. Your yeah. job is to get her under control, right? Your job is to be such a stabilizing presence in that room. And we figured yeah. that out fast. And there's more than one way to skin a cat. I hate to say that's probably not the greatest analogy <laughs> right there. You know, there's more than one way to do that. And so when we finally figured it out, like we left the place and it was ironic that, you know, we were actually going to need those skills more than we, we ever thought because her first birth, similar to yours, w did not go as planned. It became mm -hmm. an emergency C-section. Our daughter was breached. Oh, yeah. And she mm -hmm. wouldn't turn. And at one mm -hmm. point during like the, the sort of an 11th hour hospital visit, we were still just waiting, you know, hoping that would happen. It didn't happen. And they had a heart monitor on her. The heart monitor lost the heartbeat. And um, we just said, all right, here's our one rule. Our one rule above all is that we will not risk the health of the baby just to meet our desired wishes. And so it ended right. up as a C-section. But then four VBACs afterwards. How did my wife know that? Because she was one. She was the oldest of seven VBAC and then six natural thereafter for her mom. Maybe. But she also was a yeah. part of groups. And that's one of the point that I want to make there is that you then, after your experience happens, you know, you start to study and no doubt link up with people that are out there. And I'm convinced 
that that is the most effective tool of getting the word out to women of what is possible in these births. Watching a video on YouTube may help, right? First of all, we didn't have yeah. that back then, I don't think. I'm trying to remember when YouTube yeah. came. Well, maybe we did, but, you know, it wasn't, uh, it didn't have the plethora of topics that it did now um, for starters. But, you know, it's just the power of the, um, you know, person to person contact, which is what yeah. you're doing. And it's, you know, it's, yeah. I'm sure it's doing in mass now. So, so thankful for yeah. what you're doing on that, you know? That's really interesting. I, I've got a, um, the, the very first, this ties in beautifully, the very first trauma I ever, oh no, I shouldn't say that. The second trauma that I ever ran, ever, was um, a woman who was doing it her third, she was on her third pregnancy and she was doing a VBAC. She was, uh, so she had had two C-sections. She was going for a natural birth on this third one. And what had happened to her previously is that she had needle phobia. So she would, you know, at some point when you go into the hospital, you're going to end up getting a needle, right? So, uh, previously that had sort of set her up. And when people have a phobia, I mean, phobias are real things. They, they aren't, you know, those are things that are physiological to the highest degree. So when you start to experience fear like that, there's very little you can do to control how that's going to operate your body. Right. So, for her, she knew that if she went into the hospital and had to have a needle, she was going to end up in a stress response. And then, of course, just protocol that was going to send her in for another C-section. So it was probably one of the coolest experiences I had was to be able to bring her through. We actually identified that the needle phobia came from a phobia of um, of bees, of hornets. <laughs> she had really? been really, really, yeah, really, really badly stung uh, by a hornet when she was a child. Didn't have any you know, allergic reaction or anything, but just had scared her half to death to the point where she now had developed it into a, a needle phobia. So this was a lifelong thing for her and she would start to hyperventilate. I mean, it was pretty serious for her. Please real quick, though, just if I could, you know, I don't mean to interrupt, but um, talk about the difference between when someone has anxiety and someone has phobia. I'm sure a lot of people have a needle anxiety, but a phobia goes yeah. to a different degree. Would you just speak to that real quick for the good of the uh, conversation? Yeah. So so a fear is pretty natural, right? A fear response is something where you're you you anticipate a result, you anticipate an outcome that you're unhappy with, right? So sure. you think that something is going to hurt or you think that something is going to have some sort of, you know, sometimes mild, sometimes very severe, unpleasant outcome. And so you're anticipating that outcome and it's causing you to have like a future, uh, anxiety, uh, not anxiety, a future, um, negative reaction. So the, the fear will cause you to have an anticipated outcome and that creates a stress response, but it's, you can intervene on that. So if somebody comes in and says, Hey, you know what, here's, here's what we've set up. Here's the measures we're taking. Here's the probability. Here's the possibilities. You know, there's a lot of stuff that you can do when it's fear that you can interfere and the brain will actually still have the capacity to understand logic, to be able to take into consideration, you know, things like probability. Um, the brain is still open to anything that may really help to subdue or relax that fear. And so if it's a real fear, I mean, if a tiger is chasing you, then one would hope that the fear would override, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you want to stay afraid of the tiger as long as it's running you. But when the fear is of something that is manageable, then what you want to be able to do is stay open to those things that are going to allow you to calm down and, um, and stay, you know, open to the possibilities of getting through it. A phobia, on the other hand, is uh, completely different. The way that it actually, um, it typically has this like really rapid onset of fear, and it's completely disproportionate to the actual 
um, subject of fear or the object of the fear. So the, the brain actually goes into this hyper response. And at that point, it's like in full gear. So your, your brain is operating and, and um, expressing chemicals and doing everything that the brain does in a way where it is no longer open to rational um, you know, intervention of any kind. So when somebody has a phobia, it really doesn't matter the reality of the situation. The brain is, is already in a reactive state where it anticipates the worst outcome and there's nothing that can interfere with that. So the body's going to stay there basically until there's, there's an actual removal of whatever the phobia is. So if it's heights, they're going to be in that phobic state until they get a, off, you know, off the ladder or off the roof or whatever. Got it. If it's a spider, they're going to stay in that until the spider's gone, you know, whatever it is. So, um, yeah, the difference is, is just in the ability to actually help someone get through it. So they're in, so, so when yeah. they're in that state, that's not the time to work with them. You've got to work with them prior to that to get them, you know, before they ever get back into that state. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. Yeah. There's yeah. a, there'll be a trigger response, Jeff, for the phobic response. There'll be a trigger for the phobic response. You have to be dealing with them on the trigger. Mm -hmm. Got it. So the, one of the um, you know really well uh, re renowned parts of NLP is that we can actually work really effectively with phobias. So so long as we find the trigger, which we can always do, we can always find the trigger of the original cause, source of the phobia. Then we can actually run a, a really quick protocol um, with much much success that will eliminate the phobia altogether. So, and the phobia and the trauma model, Jeff, are ninety percent similar, ninety-five percent similar. Mm -hmm. So, so Tara, what happened then with this? So, you identified this thing, you began yeah. to work with her, and then what? This phobia came up. I worked with her. You know, we cleared a whole bunch of her. You know, past just the challenges of her, her life, and we went through a lot of emotional stuff. And then we got right to the trigger of this um, of this phobia, and she knew for sure that that was the thing that had interfered previously in the last two, and so. Um, we, but we did the, the protocol. So I, you know, sat with her and we ran the, the phobia model, which takes about 10 minutes of just, you know, uh, brain focused stuff. And it was so funny because I was in an office, I was in this very old office it's called the healing arts center in Guelph. And, and I had old windows that didn't have screens on them. And I had just completed this, <laughs> this phobia model on this woman. And she's breathing and breathing and saying, this is amazing. Like I really feel a calm, even just thinking about, you know, a needle or a hornet or a bee or whatever that I've never felt before. And she was just completely amazed that this could have happened in then, you know, sort of 10 minutes. And as she's talking, I see in the corner of my eye, the biggest hornet I think I've ever oh, seen no. just flies <laughs> into the office. <laughs> <laughs> and it flew right there's the old high like old billions with high ceilings. <laughs> and it was so funny because I was fairly new, you know, I hadn't done a, a lot of work by this point. And um and I thought to myself, okay, she hasn't seen it, it's behind her. Now, do I have the courage right now? <laughs> How much do I believe in what we just did? Oh my goodness. You and can't I pay for this kind of call. irony. It couldn't believe it. I mean, it was just you know, when you believe in uh So so did you <laughs> what'd you do? So with I her? did. And I said, you know what, Tara, you got to walk the talk and you got to believe in this. And oh, I said, man. okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get you to turn around in a minute. And uh, it was extraordinary. She turned around, she looked at it. She didn't like it, right? I mean, she didn't want it to come anywhere near her. And I was pretty sure it wasn't going to. Um, but she was fine and she was able to stay in the room. And the hornet hung around for another, you know, five or 10 minutes and then it flew out again. Yeah. Um, 
and she was completely fine. And that, that convinced her for her. I mean, it was, you know, you, you gotta believe it was sent to her for a yeah, purpose. Yeah. Right there. With, with her phobia previously, she would not have sat out. Yeah. She would have she been out the door. She, she wouldn't. Yeah. And that's she, what she, she just, needed she to see. That, yeah. Yep. Then the birth would be possible. And, huh? Wow. Exactly. And it was such a blessing to her. So, wow. um, yeah, so it was beautiful. And at the end of the day, as woman went on, I was with her throughout the birth. She, she got through the needle absolutely calmly. She stayed totally calm. You know, she's monitored the whole time. Awesome. Um, and it, yeah, it was a really great experience. I'd say with my sixth yeah. sense of humor, if I, if they had been my friends, I would have gotten like a, a onesie with like an embroidered bee or something on it for the baby. <laughs> yeah. That's the kind of stuff that I would do, you know? <laughs> It's probably, probably why I have friends like Alan. That's why, you know, right there. <laughs> yep. It's kind of stuff. I'm still waiting for my, I'm still waiting for my onesie with the embroidered. Beyond. It's, uh, it's yeah. in the mail, man. You know how mail from the, from the U S to Canada goes. All right, well, let's do this. Um, <laughs> Let's take a break here and uh, we're going to come after the break yeah. and, and I have some rapid fire questions for you. And I, what I want to do is I want to do something that's a little bit different for life after PTSD, because we've kind of really talked about the trauma and what's possible. We'll get into that a little bit more, but Tara, man, there's, there's, this is a resource right here. This entire episode thus far has been a resource for moms and would-be moms. And um, mm-hmm. I would love to come back and just talk to you and ask you questions sort of rapid-fire style. Let's talk about what's possible uh, for moms who are approaching birth, right? Let's give them the conversation sure. that you great. didn't have prior to you know, to birth number one. What do you think? Good. Great. All right. Perfect. All right. So stick with us. And uh, we, man, this is, uh, this is jam-packed. Uh, we're going to reset some things. When we come back after the break, we'll get into those questions. Thanks for listening to Life After PTSD. All right, so I want to welcome everybody back here with Alan and Tara Canerva. Uh, they are live on the horn from Guelph, Ontario. We are talking the subject of birth trauma. Tara, you've done a masterful job of talking about your journey and kind of what got you into this whole thing. So uh, if I could, I want to just get right into those questions. And uh, and by the way, these are just prompt questions, not that you need these. All right, feel free to just jump on your own tangents here because I would love for us to use this episode as a resource for the moms out there who don't have a resource like you or they don't have friends talking this up. They're not a part of a support group where where these sorts of possibilities of what could be possible, you know, in a birth are being talked about and everything. So I, I would just, um, if I could just ask it, maybe I'll start the question and you go from wherever, you know, whatever direction you want to go with this. The question is, what is possible? What do you now think is possible that you didn't know was possible prior to your first birth? What do you now believe is possible and and an ideal birth? Like, talk to me. What is uh, what can what can a first time mom and any time mom have in terms of a a more sacred, more natural birth than uh, what typically happens in a hospital experience? Not downing hospitals or anything, but what just typically happens according to that script. What do you think? You know, my first response is is that um, she can have control and. I think that that is so fundamental to what um, what has kind of gone wrong in our culture over here is that women have lost the sense of feeling as though they're going in to do something that they get to do almost all of the choosing. And um, because of that, they get themselves in a place where all, whatever the outcome is, the outcome can actually, true, what you were just talking about with your own experience, 
where the outcome doesn't really matter. I mean, we all, at the end of the day, what matters is a healthy mom and a healthy baby, right? Agreed. And that is so important, but sometimes women get so caught up. I mean, when I talk to the midwives and I go to them and say, hey, listen, here's what I do, you know, because you may have, initially I would say, because you may have some clients who have anxiety. And I remember the response. They looked at me and said, I was talking to a whole group of them and they said, some, like 95% of the women who come in today have real anxiety around it. And I think what goes wrong is that there's a sense that that they have to follow the rules the way that the rules are presented to them and they have that there are right choices and wrong choices and and that to me is really really difficult to work through because there really aren't any right and wrong choices there's a whole bunch of choices so specifically what i mean is that um the whole idea of going into a hospital to me is a little bit uh, off because we associate hospitals with being sick, right? And when a woman is pregnant and having a baby, she's not sick. <laughs> and there's, nothing, there's, there's not an illness. There's, not, there's nothing like that. And so um, I, I love the idea. You know, I hear lots about where there are birth centers and um, there's something, you know, I, I think it's great if there's a place for women to go where there are people who are trained really well to be able to do this. That's fantastic. It would be awesome if it was outside of the context of a hospital where patients go when they're ill to get better, you know? And um, so I think the first thing is getting into that mindset. You are not ill. You are not a patient. You're not um, going in to have them fix anything. There's nothing broken, you know, all that stuff. And so just walking into the hospital and knowing that you are doing something that is absolutely natural, absolutely, you know, if you do choose to go into a hospital that is absolutely natural and that there's a bunch of people there who are going to be able to guide you through the process and help make it more comfortable for you and of course on the off off side that something goes wrong they've got the tools and everything else to to help you through that so i think that that's a big part of it and the other thing is to really recognize that you have the um that you you can go and you can ask all of the questions and um a lot of times just just knowing that, you know, when you walk into that room, it's up to you whether or not you want to be hooked up to an IV and, um, knowing all of those choices. I mean, I could go on those, you know, probably 50 choices a woman has to make in the first hour that she comes, gets, you know, registered into the hospital. All of those are a yes, no. And a lot of women just sort of assume that they're happening to them, which puts them in what we call effect. It puts them there as, you know, waiting to see what is going to happen to them. And what I've noticed through my work is that the women who walk in and say, okay, here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take your advice because I really respect the fact that you have done this, you know, a <laughs> whole lot, you know, more often you've seen this stuff, but um, I'm also going to bring in everything that I need for myself. And those births tend to go really, really well. The, the other thing is that, um, that the anxiety is so uh, unwarranted. <laughs> Like it really is, you know, we live in a society where there's just so much hype around being pregnant and doing it well. And I would say that the the most powerful work that I do with women, I do a lot of work around women who feel like they have to have everything together. They have to do it all right. They have to make the right decisions. They have to be ready. They have to be prepared and uh, they have to, you know, eat a certain way and walk a certain way and do you know, a whole list of things and it's removing all of that. So my work has really been about making sure that they get clear. So I'll sit with a woman and get really, really clear about how she wants to experience her pregnancy and how she wants to experience birth. And then what ends up happening by the end of the, the work that I do with them is that they recognize that they can do that, you know? most women, what they want is something that's absolutely realistic, right? They want to be able to be relaxed. They want to be able to enjoy it. They want to be able to feel as safe as they can. 
They want to know how to stay healthy. They want to continue living their life, you know, all that stuff. And if there's any reason why they think they have to compromise on any of those things, then that means there's a there's an issue. It's either going to be inside of them or maybe in their environment, but it's it's going to likely be something that we can work through together. And so the most success I've had has been these, uh, the opportunity for women to feel like they are completely in charge of how they're going to have their, their pregnancy and birth. And then when things go sideways, I mean, you know, the reality is stuff happens, right? But they've felt, uh, they've been experiencing the whole process in control of it. And even, you know, even in the most dire of circumstances, there's still a set of choices that they can make. And so I have, you know, I have worked with women who have had really difficult things happen, but they still, they were in the mindset already that they're going to weigh all the, you know, everything that has to happen and take that all into consideration and then make a decision. As I hear you speak, it's amazing to me that that message isn't more incorporated into the cause of feminism. To me, that's like right. the quintessential message of feminism right there, at least should be, you know, and it was yeah. brilliant. It was, it was, it was extremely eloquently said. And I hope that, um, I hope that the, the, the women out there that hear that will take that to heart. I, I feel like my wife is a living testimony of that same journey. And so mm-hmm. at least there's two people giving, you know, giving credence to this on a message, uh, you know, and I know that there are, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, of other women who have discovered you know, a similar path and, um, have had these beautiful birth experiences um, that probably, uh, you know, uh, violate the, the stereotypical norm that we see both in yes. the United States yeah. and Canada. So it's just, it's brilliant. Yeah. I just love the work yeah. that you do. And, um, tell me this, if, uh, you know, obviously people can reach out to you and they can connect with you and your practice and everything at inspiredoutcomes.ca. Um, what would you say to somebody that's living somewhere else that maybe, you know, can't get access to you or, you know, needs somebody locally, who are they looking for? Well, I'm always going to recommend a doula because just by nature, someone who decides to be a doula is someone who is going to be so informed, A, about all of the options. That's going to be, I mean, even more so uh, perhaps, and I say this, you know, knowing there's a million exceptions, but even more so than some of the other birth professionals, because their singular objective is to make it more comfortable and suited to the needs of the mother. So a doula, I mean, you know, sometimes you're going to pay a few hundred dollars for them. Sometimes you'll pay a few thousand dollars for them. I would say that if you can find a doula who comes highly recommended, you know, that is one, one role that you want to definitely make sure you, you do check out the references and do talk to the women. And usually I, you know, I know that women who have had really good doulas are so happy to talk to anyone else. Like they are so, the clients that I had were just so excited to be able to help another woman make the decision to bring me on and share their experience. So I think that's probably your best source. And these are, again, you know, you don't choose to be a doula for any other reason than, yeah. than because you're passionate about the work. I mean, this is a job that, um, you know, I remember laughing. I, I would charge, I don't know, you know, a few hundred dollars for what I was doing at the time, maybe $500. Yeah. And what that meant was then I was with that woman, you know, like for, for a month from sort of week 37, 38 until she has her baby. And for the most part, women who are hiring doulas and doing this kind of birth are not getting, um, they're not getting, uh, anything planned, right? They're going to go up to 42 weeks. If they have to, they're going to let everything happen um, naturally. And for that period of time, I mean, I don't go within an hour of where they are, right? Because I need to be on call if they call me and say, listen, it's it's now I have to be there. And so 
you know, it's just this, like you, you are doing this from the heart if you're doing this work. And I think there's just, a, there's so much information that these are going to be women who have, that's what they're doing with their time is really going through all the information that's out there. Um, and bringing it to you in a way where it's going to be really understandable. So that would be the first thing I would say is a doula is always going to be an exceptional resource. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I laugh, I, I, I'm there for the women, but I bet you, you know, a good 30% of the success that I had as far as keeping uh, or helping to have really healthy converse was because <laughs> was the work I did with the father. Oh yeah. You know, the dad's waking out and, and the relief, you know, when I could say to, to, you know, everyone in the room has a role. So whether you're at home or at the hospital or whatever, you know, the medical person is there to do the medical stuff. And there is a lot of medical stuff to do, you know, even when you're at home or maybe especially when you're at home, those do those midwives or doctors, they're, you know, they're monitoring stuff and they have to pay attention to the medical thing. And so that's their job. And then I can say to the husband, you know, my job is to help her with the birthing process, make sure that she's breathing in a way where she's going to be most comfortable and pay attention to her needs that are, that are really specific to the birthing process, which then allows the husband to just be there emotionally. Just if she wants you to be, you know, a hundred feet away, then you get a hundred feet away. And if she wants you to be right beside her and just holding her hand and kissing her forehead, then you can do that. And that is the only thing you have to pay attention to is your wife's emotional state and let us do all the rest. Right. Yeah. And men typically not being the multitaskers. I'm sure that's a welcome message. <laughs> you know, them, oh, oh, I just got to kiss her forehead. That's it. I can do that. I can do that. That's yeah, good. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> she wants me to get away for, I can do that. I can do that. Seriously. Yep. And I would get the, the number of men who are sort of looking at me across the bed with this questioning kind of like, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's a lesson in this. If I could say to the men out there, listen, the, the cost of a birth these days, I don't know what is in Canada. I know your healthcare is different here. Our, you know, our healthcare is atrocious here. So even if you have insurance and even good insurance you're still paying okay what's a thousand dollars more you pay that woman yeah. and it's worth every penny in my opinion and having done that with <laughs> exactly. our, our second birth I believe that that's true you know I'm full yeah. on convinced of that so I mean yeah. for crying out loud for the money that the hospital gets you know from you for $15 Advils and all that kind of stuff trust me the doula is worth it <laughs> it's so yeah, worth it absolutely you know so that's the first thing and the doula will also spend so much time with you beforehand again yeah I was gonna you know, say for the hourly that goes into that job uh, you know and, and just yeah. you know like you said not being more than an hour away and everything i i think it's um severely uh, yeah. severely underpaid field actually yeah, for sure. And the second thing, honestly, is I would say find, you know, find someone who, uh, I mean, I'm obviously going to promote NLP because there's nothing that works as effectively and as quickly as what we do. But if you have issues that come up, I mean, your life is about to change really, really drastically. And so if anything is surfacing, you know, if suddenly you're, you're finding that you're struggling through anything, you know, historically from your past, or if there's just, if there's stuff in your life that you haven't dealt with, this is the right time to deal with it because it's going to, you're about to go into a massive change in your relationship, a massive change in your whole entire existence. If you're a first time mom, for sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, you can't anticipate how much things change and you're likely to be sleep deprived. You're likely to um, be questioning yourself. I mean, being a mom for the first time and being a dad for the first time is a, is a scary thing, right? I mean, you got this little life that's depending on you. And so, you know, in a really healthy way, there's going to be a lot of just, you know, concern you know you've never loved anything this much and so right. the importance of that and so not having other things in the way not having you know certainly trauma or um just any emotional states that are really going to make things more difficult this is the time and i would say you know we work in a breakthrough we work we work 12 hours and we can get through whatever issues are and if you had the ability to do that and just go 
clear your stuff and, and work through those things, you're going to be so grateful for it so that when you do have your baby and you go through this process, you're in the most resourceful place that you could be. Yeah, I agree. And, and I, you know, obviously work in the, the field with marriages and couples and everything. And we talk about premarital counseling and marriage, you know, prep for marriage and that sort of thing. There's yeah. prep for birth, no doubt. And it's overlooked, Absolutely. very much overlooked. Absolutely. And I yes. love that you're in that world. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's yeah. put a cap on this. I think that's, that's a great, um, I, I'm telling you, this is a resource. This is going to live long beyond, you know, our expectations in terms of a resource for women out there. And I just appreciate, uh, again, what you do, Tara, but also just your willingness to share all of this information um, for women. I, I'm, again, this is a husband speaking, uh, but having <laughs> gone through this, you know, I, I say that I know how valuable this information, I know a fraction of how valuable it, it is. And, um, you know, I'm just excited for the, the, the wives out there, um, that'll get to hear this and the soon to be moms and, and that sort of thing. All right. So good stuff. Um, so again, Thank inspiredoutcomes.ca is how they find you guys. And, um, mm-hmm. I know that they can reach out to you that way. And for anybody else that's listening out there as always connect with us on life after PTSD media, uh, which is our YouTube handle and also on Instagram and then heal your PTSD on Twitter. Um, guys, if you're, um, if you're a regular listener to the show, we always ask that you share these episodes. We believe that there's, um, power in your influence to, to bring the, the messages that we're bringing to others, you know, they listen to you, you have a tribe. And so make sure you share that with them. But for your own purposes, if you've been listening for a while and you're not subscribed, do that so that you know when new things are coming out. And as always, we drop episodes every Monday and we will do it again next week for sure. So Alan and Tara, thanks guys. And um, we will connect soon. We're so grateful that you listened to the show today. Now imagine a new normal you get to decide with all its possibilities once you are free of PTSD, because that is what is possible. You're here, which means you're ready. But listening alone will not heal you or those you know who are suffering. Join us on the mission to eradicate PTSD by reaching out to lifeafterptsd.org or in Canada, lifeafterptsd.ca or by sharing this message of hope with someone you know.